0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emrest, CPA with Parnells & Associates. I've been getting a lot of questions about this new bill that Congress is working on getting passed. They're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about what we know right now and how it could ultimately affect your business. Before we get into that, though, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Do you want to grow your car count a little higher? Or maybe you're dreaming bigger and want to open one more shop. Trust Shopware to provide the systems you've been waiting for to make it happen. GetShopware.com In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits by developing a specific plan for each client. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com So since Joe Biden has come into office, there have been several attempts to pass sweeping tax reform changes, as well as a number of other projects, including infrastructure, renewable energy. The Build Back Better plan was probably one of the major ones, but it could never get enough support to pass both the House and the Senate. And more or less, since he's come into office, most policy as we see it has remained relatively unchanged. Now, in my world, no change is usually a good thing. Change usually means change in tax code, change in rules, change in strategies, and a lot of different things. And I'm constantly reading as much as I care to about some of these bills so I can always stay ahead of this stuff. I've been following this one pretty closely because for the longest time, this one looked like it was dead in the water. You know, This bill is now being called the Inflation Reduction Act. It had a different name earlier but more or less was just kind of sitting there in Congress because it was just a standstill. They know that they didn't have the majority to bring it to a vote. They knew that people weren't for it. And so it just kind of stayed there. Joe Manchin is probably who you've been seeing a lot on the news. And his big thing is he would not pass a bill that did not have, uh, I guess, lower amounts of spending so that it didn't increase the inflation or worsen the inflation that we see right now. If you remember two weeks ago when we did the inflation episode, one of the large drivers of inflation, regardless of what politicians like to say, is government spending, right? If you increase government spending, especially if you can't offset that with other revenues from the government, it essentially means the government's printing money for these programs. When a government prints money, inflation goes up. Now, obviously, inflation is a really hot topic right now. And so they did not want to pass something that they fell could be, you know, construed as making the problem that we have right now even worse. You know, I don't really generally like talking too much about bills until they pass, but this one's pretty close. These are obviously not the exact details, and there is still a chance that this does not pass and we'd never have to worry about it. So that's a caveat I'm going to put on this. You know, I'm recording this first. It's August 1st. Um, If we're listening to this in September, this might have already been passed, this might have been passed but changed, or this might not have got passed at all. But we're going to discuss what we do know right now, how this could affect your business, and if there's anything that you need to be doing right now. First thing I want to talk about is why is this called the Inflation Reduction Act? Now, I found this a little bit funny because like we just said before, generally government spending programs make inflation worse. And then correspondingly, you know, this total bill is not a massive one, you know, by relative uh, recent standards here, but it doesn't really have a whole lot in there that is supposedly going to decrease inflation. Yet, why would you call something the Inflation Reduction Act if it has nothing to do with reducing inflation? It's largely political. Right. Just like anything that we're seeing right now, a lot of politics. And this is on both sides of the aisle. Right. I'm going to try to keep the partisan stuff out of here. But both sides of the aisle right now is a lot of this is just kind of pop. Right. They're going to put stuff out there. They're going to put these clips out there. They're going to say how excited they are, how this is going to be groundbreaking um, and how stuff like this has never got done before. Some of that might be true. But if you go down into this bill, as we will, you will see that not a whole lot of this is really targeting inflation directly. Some of the things that they're doing, they argue, will kind of have an indirect effect on inflation. But even the White House themselves has admitted that this will not have any real-time effect on inflation or even secondarily the budget deficit until the later part of this decade. So essentially what they're saying and, and most of the stuff they've been reading is that this won't actually have any effect on inflation until 2027, depending on who you read and kind of what kind of models you're looking at. Could be a little bit sooner than that, but at the very least we're three or four years out. Is that really going to get you up in arms? Is this really going to make everything that you buy cheaper? Probably not. Now, another reason why to call this the Inflation Reduction Act is inflation is probably the hottest topic right now for good reason. You know, inflation does not see location. Inflation does not see age, does not see gender. Inflation affects everyone, right? Everyone in this country right now is feeling the effects, the effects of inflation. Gas prices, food prices, lumber prices, used car prices, new car prices, you name it, we've experienced it. And I don't think that anyone wants to talk about renewable energy or tax reform because people are saying, I need money in my pocket right now. I'm making maybe more money than I have in the past, but I don't actually have any more money because everything that I buy, everything that I consume is getting more expensive. So what better way to do a little bit of bait and switch here? Hey, we can name this whatever we want. Let's call this the Inflation Reduction Act. This should get people excited. So what is in this bill? So this bill is right now, as it's currently written, is about seven hundred and ninety billion dollars, a fraction of what they were trying to originally get passed with one of these sweeping legislations. Those were in the trillions. I think the original one that got proposed that had all of the kind of programs that they wanted to pass was over three trillion dollars. So this one has been majorly scaled back. Because like I said, there was not a ton of politicians that were extremely happy with inflation at 9% and seeing the government go out and print more money and increase the spending on it. So it's been very much pared back to hit some of the hotter topics and you know some different things that might be affecting people's day-to-day lives. Now, the kind of uh, disclaimer I'll put here before I start going down through this is ultimately... I don't see any major changes in the short term, but some of these things I think are worth mentioning because they're going to start affecting us here sooner rather than later. Let's start at the top. So of this three or of this $790 billion, the largest portion of this is going to go to energy and climate. Now, under energy and climate, we don't know specifically about what some of these programs are, but they name a couple different things that they're going to go after. So one of the first one is clean electricity tax credits. What would be clean electricity tax credits? In the past, there's always been renewable energy tax credits, a lot of different things. But most of those programs have an expiration date or have when they start limiting the credits. What I imagine that this is going to be solar panel, wind power, you know, maybe home chargers for electric vehicles, battery systems for your home, a lot of different things like this. Now, what that's going to do is that's going to incentivize people to use some of these programs, because if you just do the general math of it without any sort of government intervention, most of these renewable energy options that we have right now on the consumer level don't pay for themselves. Now, if you're getting a 30% tax credit or 40% tax credit for this stuff, it starts to look a lot more appealing. People start to buy this stuff more, and then we have more of a shift over to renewable energy. Now, another one on here is we have individual clean energy incentives. What is that one? You would think that it has very similar to do with the clean electricity tax credits, but must be slightly different here. Another one is clean manufacturing tax credits. So they're trying to incentivize people to manufacture on a more sustainable basis here is the only thing that I can imagine. Now, this is only a $35 billion set aside for the clean manufacturing. Same with the individual clean energy incentives. $35 billion sounds like a lot to me, sounds like a lot to you. But as far as a government program, $35 billion doesn't go very far. We all have bad days where we just turn to someone and ask, how the heck do I fix this? When that happens to you on the business side, which may not be your strong suit, you want someone quick and you want them to be clear. That's exactly what Dan Groen from Detroit Garage found when he peppered the folks at Shopware with questions about how to make the most of its shop management system. As he puts it, they continually solve the curveballs that we throw at them. With seven shops, Dan jokes that he is a demanding client, but that is a sign of a guy committed to his business. Even better, the Shopware support team met every challenge with In Dan's words, impressive capabilities and vigor. No complaints, no hassles, just a commitment to help Dan through his day. As Dan says, we make each other stronger. Now that's a partnership that works. It is time. Visit GetShopware.com. In today's world, managing the labor side of your business is more important than ever. Utilizing their industry-leading software, Labor Profit Management, Repair Shop of Tomorrow can help shops maximize their profits, By developing a specific plan for each client. Do you know what your effective labor rate is? Do you know your technician's efficiency and productivity? Do you know how much profit dollars each technician is adding to the bottom line? If the answer is no, then this Napa Auto Care Endorsed Program from Repair Shop of Tomorrow is the program for you. Developed for shop owners by shop owners, this program will help you become more profitable on day one. Utilizing their unique labor management systems will allow you to work smarter, not harder. For more information about their programs, please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. Another one on there is clean fuel and vehicle tax credits. This is probably the biggest one for this industry that we're talking about. Now, the clean fuel and vehicle tax credits, we do know a little bit about that. And so all the car manufacturers had an electric vehicle credit. Um, depending on what kind of model you got, some of them were limited based on the kilowatt hours that the car could store, but there is also kind of a twilight period where they were able to pay out a certain amount of credits, a certain amount of money per manufacturer, and then that money is gone. For example, right now, you do not get a tax credit for buying several different electric vehicles because they've already given out the amount of tax credits that they have allotted for that manufacturer. I imagine what this could be is probably bringing back some of those credits from manufacturers that did not qualify anymore, maybe expanding the amount of the credits. Now, another one on here is they just have other climate and energy spending for 120 billion. The whole energy and climate section was 385 billion. 120 billion is in this other climate and energy spending. What is that we don't really know right now. Now, I hate to put out rumors and stuff like that, but there's been a lot of talk to not only reward people for driving renewable or driving electric vehicles, there's also a lot of talk to maybe penalize those that still drive internal combustion engines. So what better way to get people to change over to electric vehicles than to reward them? And then if that wasn't enough kick, maybe penalize the people that aren't driving electric vehicles. You know, we've seen this in the past, a gas guzzler tax, a gas guzzler surcharge that was added to new vehicles that did not meet a certain mile per gallon rating. Is it going to be something like that? Maybe. Maybe. You know, really all that we know here is that there's going to be a renewed push and a renewed financial interest to continue the shift over to electric vehicles for the energy and climate section. I think that the big takeaway right now, if I'm a shop owner, is if you're sitting here thinking, you know what, electric vehicles are not going to be something that I'm going to see where I am. This is not the future. This is a fad. This is going to go away. We're never going to make it happen. I'm going to just completely disagree with you. I don't think that there's a whole lot of people out there that think that. But I've definitely talked to some people that think that this is a lot farther away than what I really feel like it is. More and more of my shops have been starting to invest in infrastructure, invest in tooling and training to start working on these electric vehicles. You know, if you think about it right now, think about if you're a shop owner, all of the shop owner friends that you know, and a lot of them are probably very good shop owners. Think about how many of them can service electric vehicles in any sort of volume. What I mean by that is, no, you haven't changed the tires on a Tesla. No, you haven't changed the brakes on a Prius or something like that. No, I mean, seriously, head to toe, they can fix any sort of electric vehicles that come in. There's only a handful of people out there that are doing this right now. And if we're going to see a massive expansion in electric vehicles and a major push to get the general American electric vehicles... If not already, we're going to see a major shortage of people that can fix electric vehicles. And so this is definitely going to be, you know, the new frontier for a lot of people. And some of my clients that are already doing this stuff right now are really writing the book as they go. You know, for internal combustion engines, more or less, what we're seeing has been the same technology for a number of years. And there's very well-documented repair procedures, repair times, all kinds of stuff like that. That we just don't know on a lot of these newer vehicles. The technology is, you know, changing so rapidly that a lot of people just aren't keeping up with it. So the big takeaway here is whether this bill gets passed or not, electric vehicles are coming and they're coming pretty quickly here. A lot of people are needing to make that decision. Do I want to get into the electric vehicle space? Do I not? Is now the right time? Do I need to wait a little bit? I can't answer that question for you. You know, it's going to be largely dependent on where you live, largely dependent on the demand that you currently have right now and, you know, how much money you have to spend realistically. None of this stuff is cheap. If you want to get in and you want to really be doing electric vehicles, the tooling is expensive and it's a major commitment. So the next part of this bill is going to be spent on the healthcare side of it. Really what they're doing is two major things here. They're going to extend some of the Affordable Care Act subsidies that are going on, ultimately, to lower some healthcare costs. And then they're also getting into uh, different drug price negotiation with Medicare. If you remember before, I talked about how they were saying, hey, some of this is historic. Some of the different things that they're doing with Medicare and being able to negotiate drug prices is a major change. So essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying to still give people that are on, you know, government health insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, but they're going to allow the government to negotiate prescription drug prices with the prescription companies, you know, with the drug manufacturers. So example of that is, let's say that you have, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that are on blood pressure medication. There is a set price that Purdue Pharma one of these pharmaceutical companies have negotiated with the government and they're locked in to pay that price. Is it a good price? Is it a bad price? Let's be realistic. It's probably not the best price. You know, it's probably pretty good for the pharmaceutical company, not that great for the government, and ultimately not that great for the taxpayers. What they're trying to do here is they're trying to come in and they're trying to say, hey, you know what? We're actually gonna negotiate these prices, we're gonna maybe cross-shop it with some different pharmaceutical companies. Ultimately, what that's going to do is going to give the same medication to people on Medicare and Medicaid. They obviously don't pay anymore because the government's paying for this stuff. But what that leaves is extra money for the government, which is also part of this plan to increase or decrease the federal deficit, decrease spending, and hopefully be able to save the government some money in the future. So, like I said, you know, this is called the Inflation Reduction Act. And if we stopped right here, essentially, this is going to do absolutely nothing for inflation because all we're doing is more or less increasing government spending here with no real way to pay for this stuff. Now, obviously, you know, the drug negotiation, stuff like that will reduce the government spend if successful. But there is other ways that they're planning to pay for this. The big one that they're talking about and the one that I've had questions asked is they are trying to implement a 15% corporate minimum tax. They're expecting this to generate $315, $320 billion. Now, what is this 15% corporate minimum tax and does it affect you? So what this 15% corporate minimum tax is, is it's a minimum tax that large corporations will have to pay. When I say large corporations, I'm specifically talking about C-corporations. So remember, there's a couple different ways to be taxed, partnership, sole proprietor, S-corporation, or C-corporation. If you're paying the tax personally, you're probably an S-corporation. If the business is paying the tax, you are a C-corporation. Of the 600 shops that we work with on a monthly basis, I have maybe 10 C-corporations, Uh, General rule of thumb is it doesn't make sense to be a small C corporation. Tax rates are already very high. And there's a couple other things that make us not like it very much. This 15% minimum tax does not change my opinion whatsoever because this 15% minimum corporate tax will most likely not really affect anyone that would be listening to this podcast. The big reason that this 15% minimum tax is pushed out there. Has to do with, you know, something that we hear on the news a lot of Amazon made all of this money and effectively paid zero tax. So whether it's deductions, whether this is credits, whether this is a number of different things, some people are able to reduce their effective tax rates down below the minimum or the flat 21% that corporations are supposed to be paying. Now we have the same minimum tax on the personal level. It's called AMT alternative minimum tax. On a personal level, essentially what that is saying is, all right, you made all this money, but you paid a bunch of money into charity. You have a really expensive mortgage that you're writing off the interest. You reduced your taxes a significant amount below what we are comfortable with below that minimum tax amount. So to make up that shortage, they also tack on the AMT or alternative minimum tax. That's on a personal level. What they're trying to do on a corporation is very similar. They're essentially saying, hey, Amazon, we don't care what kind of deductions, what kind of tax credits you take. We're going to have a minimum 15% corporate tax that you're going to have to pay no matter what you do. Now, do you think that Amazon, do you think that these other large corporations are just going to take this lying down and say, you know what? What? We didn't pay that much tax before. You got us. Now we're going to pay 15% tax. Probably not, right? There's, you know, these companies spend tens of millions, maybe even billions of dollars in tax minimization, tax plannings, tax strategies. You know, they have a whole accounting firms that are only working for them. And so just like everything that we've ever seen, if you shoot at the top, if you shoot for the big guys, it doesn't usually stick. Some things might change a little bit, but I don't think that we're going to see the major windfall like the politicians inevitably think that's going to happen every single time. Another one is that they're going to have some closures of some different loopholes. Um, One of those is the carried interest provision. I'm not going to get into this today too much. Essentially, what this is, is this is directed at the investment bankers that by nature of how they treat some of these transactions, they don't end up having to pay regular income tax rates. It's going to be kept at the capital gains rate, which is about half of what the max income tax rate is. And they claim that they're going to close that loophole. Again, these are not going after people that are making 50 or $70,000 a year. They're going after people making 50 and $70 million a year. Again, I don't think that they're going to take this line down. This is the loophole right now. This is the easiest one that they're taking. There's always going to be something, right? This is a cat and mouse game. It forever is. That's part of the job of being an accountant is always trying to be one step ahead. So when something gets stopped, we have a different avenue to go down. The last one, or we got two more on here. So one of these I wanted to mention because it's getting a lot of press. We don't really know what it is, but it's something called a methane fee, a super fun fee and other revenue. So the methane fee is one of the ways that they say is going to generate $20 billion to again pay for some of these government programs. Now, if you guys know methane gases, methane gases are thought to be one of the leaders of or a greenhouse gas that is increasing climate change. Uh, methane gas is also what happens when, you know, specifically or anyone, but, you know, in a lot of examples of when cows fart, you know, when cows fart, they release methane gas. And a lot of people feel like that this methane is going up negatively infecting our environment. So what we're thinking is going to happen here is I guess if you're a farmer, maybe you're going to pay some sort of fee by the number of, you know, heads of cattle that you have or different livestock uh, and kind of be affected that way. Now, remember why, you know, obviously, this is just kind of a weird one, because I don't even know how you enforce that. But then again, think about this. This is the Inflation Reduction Act, right? So if you're a farmer, and you never had to pay a methane fee, and you run, you know, a cattle farm where you guys, you know, are slaughtering cows and selling beef, if you now have to pay a methane fee on every single one of your cattle, do you think that your costs are going to go up or your costs are going to go down? Well, obviously, your costs are going up, right? So if your cost as a farmer is going up, do you think that you're going to want to get paid more or less in the beef that you're producing? Again, obviously, you're going to want to get paid more. So if we have this methane fee that's supposed to create a budget surplus, but then correspondingly turns around and raise food prices and farming costs and stuff like that, it might not have a big effect. Now, the last one on here that is probably the one that I'd like to see the least is IRS tax enforcement funding, right? Our favorite department in the government, they are going to give an extra $125 billion to the IRS. Now, we don't know what they're going to do with this money. A lot of talks have been said that they're going to increase the amount of people that are working there. They're going to increase revenue agents, which allows them to increase enforcement and, quote unquote, go after tax cheats. Um, We'll really see what goes on there. You know, anyone that's had to deal with the IRS recently, specifically during COVID, might be happy to hear this because it's impossible right now to get a hold of the IRS Um, They've never been more behind on tax returns. They've never been more behind on correspondences. Um, Anytime that we're dealing with stuff now, I mean, it's taking months and months and months for very straightforward stuff. Tax returns aren't getting processed. Refunds aren't getting processed. Tax credits are not getting refunded. They are so, so, so behind. Now, is throwing more money at them and hiring more IRS agents the solution? I guess that is for us to see. Again, $125 billion to, for IRS tax enforcement funding. Sounds like a ton of money. Who knows what it's going to go to, right? And if it's going to have any overall effect on it. So all in all, what this bill is aimed at doing is reducing inflation. Personally, I do not see a whole lot of anything on here that's going to have any noticeable change in the short term for inflation and really for you as a business owner listening to this. Um, you know, when I started looking at it, there was some different tax law changes that were, you know, kind of on the table before in the previous iterations of this bill. None of that stuff really made it in there that we know of right now. Obviously, the electric vehicles is going to be a large effect on a lot of people if it does get passed, depending on what that credit turns out to look like. Now, the tricky thing here is a lot of these different things that they're trying to do is trying to reduce the federal budget deficit, because as of right now, we are spending more money than the government is bringing in. I'm all for that if some of this stuff works. You know, from what I've been reading about this myself, from the information that's out there right now, and as well as kind of commentary on people on both sides of the aisle that are kind of looking down through this. More or less, I think that this was a big push for them to pass something so that they have something to stand on. You know, like I said, the first part of this episode, there hasn't been a ton of stuff passed under this administration, and that does not look very good going into midterms. They desperately needed something to get passed here, but I don't think that this has the tease to it that some people are thinking that it does. Now, not necessarily a bad thing here because sometimes no change is a good thing, but we really just have to see what comes out in this final bill. And just like other bills in the past, some of the fine print, some of the smaller, lesser known programs end up having those major effects. Now, we will not know that until this or when and if this ultimately passes obviously I'll update you guys I will do a follow-up episode on this one to really go down through some of the things that came out how it affects you and what we can do to kind of minimize this maybe you are curious like I was maybe you've been listening to the news and hearing them talk about the inflation reduction act and hopefully you know more about it than you ever want to If you have friends that are interested in this, friends that are asking about this, or if you just have someone that you think could find this useful, please share that with them. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Link for that email is in the show notes. So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.